And now, introducing two men who were blown away by the performance of the Bucks last night as they witnessed two great players play in tandem and will, quote, always be able to tell future generations about how Milwaukee starters Giannis Attentacumpo and P.J. Tucker combined for 50 points in a closeout NBA Finals game, unquote. In attempts to erase the loss from the Orioles' record, they've lobbied Major League Baseball to disallow the Rays' victory by arguing, quote, that game wasn't even on real television. Are we really even sure that it happened, unquote? They are not Glenn Clark. Good morning, Glenn Clark Radio, Glenn Clarkless Radio, whatever you want to call it, Stan Charles Radio, Kyle Ottenheimer Radio, whatever it is. I like that. I like that name. We are in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio here at Press Box. Kyle Ottenheimer, Stan the Fan, Jack. Can you give Jack a a young young Jack intern? Jack, I'll I'll get there. You know, he doesn't get top billing, but he's here as always. Appreciate his presence. A um, lot to talk about on today's show. We're going to talk some baseball with Dan Connolly, the Athletic Orioles beat writer. We are going to talk, I mean, about a lot of different stuff with Drew Forrester, as this will be his first appearance on the program since his appearance in Omaha at the U.S. Senior Open. So we'll get his thoughts on his experience there. I know he had a great time despite not qualifying and making the cut, but all things considered, looking forward to that. And then at around 11.40, we will chat with uh, longtime sports executive Andy Dolich. So plenty to discuss on today's show. It is brought to you by Glory Days Grill, and the Olympics start soon. Stop in and watch the games at Glory Days Grill as every child who dines at one of their restaurants during the Olympic Games will receive a gold medal. Love the fine folks at Glory Days Grill. Be sure to make your trip out there soon and get some delicious food. But first things first, congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Tentacumpo for closing out the series in convincing fashion. I mean, when you talk about incredible performances in a closeout game of an NBA Finals series, I have to think Giannis has vaulted himself, if not at the very top, but among the best ever as far as that 50-point performance is concerned. He was dominant. Um, yeah, they just didn't have an answer for, no. for stopping him. I mean, look, when you're seven foot one, uh, that quick, that athletic, and as he knocked down his free throws the way he did. Look, you can criticize Scott Foster, whether they called the game properly, all that. He hit his shots, and I mean, it's hard to stop that guy, and and it's impossible to root against him, right? Like, he is... He's very likable. He is a magnetic personality. You can tell that he is team first. Um, The effort he puts in on the defensive side of the ball, sprinting back to make blocks in transition and just leaving everything out there, it really, he's unlike probably any player in the league right now. Um, And it's great to see him see the rewards for his effort. And truly, like I'm not normally the type to stick around after the end of a game, at the end of the World Series, NBA Finals, whatever you want to call it, to watch the festivities, right? It's not, I'd rather go to bed and get some sleep. But I i wasn't missing that. I wanted to see. You wanted to soak it up. And it was, I mean, it was great. Uh, he's, it's, it's, you can't say enough about the player in person that Giannis Antetokounmpo is. And, you know, in an era of the NBA where more often than not you see players joining forces and trying to win it uh, as a super team and all of that. And, you know, you heard him in a postgame press conference saying he did it the hard way. He, he wanted to do it in Milwaukee. And granted, like you could say, well, if the Nets were fully healthy, maybe they wouldn't have made it. Or, 
you know, any number of things could be argued, but that doesn't matter, right? We didn't go and take away Kawhi Leonard's NBA Finals victory because the Warriors were without Klay Thompson. Right. It's you it play who you it, play. It is what it is. You play and who you play. Yep. 50 points in a NBA Finals impressive. game is is truly impressive. It you, was You remarked about the free throw shooting. That was the astounding thing to me, you know, because that's a pretty close ball game. Sure. And if you throw in that he shoots 60% instead of 98%, mm-hmm. that game's like a, you know, they, lose, they, probably. they probably lose that yeah. game. Yeah, it he was, shot 17 for 18. It was, for um, 19. it was really fun to watch. And, you know, you could say that maybe you're bummed as a basketball fan that you won't get a game seven, but, you know, the Suns, Devin Booker and company, they didn't play their best game. They did turn the ball over too much still, as Stephanie Reddy mentioned on the show yesterday. That would probably determine their success, and they had too many costly turnovers. Um, Booker appeared sort of out of sorts. It was never really his game. Yep. Chris Paul played pretty well, but it wasn't, you know. It wasn't the way he was those last three or four games against the Clippers and, and the first two games against the Bucks. And you can't you know. get assists unless the guys hit the shot. So yep. it's not like it's his fault that he only finished with five. There were a lot of open looks by the Phoenix Suns that were missed. And um, you know, before that game last night, Jeff Van Gundy made a really – you know, uh, it was a sort of simple, obvious comment, but that Giannis needed some help from Middleton and Holiday, yeah. and I'd say he got it in spades last night. Well, Middleton, you know? it wasn't Middleton's best game either scoring. Yeah. I mean, he came on and made some big shots in the fourth, as yep. he's prone to do, and you can tell that he is a clutch player and steps up when he needs to, but he missed a good deal of shots, and Drew Holiday was, I think, four for like 19 but his contributions, passing, rebounding, defending, he was hounding Devin Booker and had to yeah. be contributing to Devin Booker's yeah. sort of off night. Um, they are a team. Uh, they are a team that has played together for a long time and clearly enjoys playing together. And, you know, it's, 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 it's fun to see that, that achieve the success that it did. Um, will he be able to do it again? I don't know. And he doesn't really care, probably. I'm sure he would love to, but... I mean, that exultation that he showed in seeing him put the towel over his head after they actually won and, like, crying with emotion. Right, but they showed that one clip of him and Budenholzer. Yeah. Uh, that, and Budenholzer said, we're going to do it again. Of and course. he says, yeah, we're going to do it again. Of course. And then that's every champion's goal. Yeah. It's easier said than done. Um, there's going to be a lot of competition, assuming all these teams come back healthy next year and the Nets – will have more experience and chemistry under their belt, so they'll be sure to try to challenge, and who knows what may happen. The Hawks certainly look pretty good in their own right, and when they're fully back at strength, who knows? Like it's The East is no longer you know, the cakewalk that it was once upon a time when LeBron reached the finals, it seemed like, every year. Right. So you know, it's good for basketball. Uh, I, I hope this propels Giannis to the level of stardom that, I think we've I think we haven't seen to, yeah. international players reach domestically. Um, well, Nowitzki was a it pretty was, much an all world player. There. All world is the key part here, right? Yeah. Like as Glenn mentioned once upon a time, when Giannis won the MVP, it still didn't make him into the same sort of figure, at least public relations wise, as the LeBrons right. of the because those guys had won championships and, and the winning also, of a championship. It's easier, I think, to market a a guy from America to Americans. But I, I mean, Giannis, there's, he's beyond reproach. I don't know what yeah. you would say about him yeah. that would make it so that he would not be that. So yeah. he is... Um, I think it's more that he hadn't won a championship yet. Sure. Now that he has, if he 
if he repeats, there's no question he vaults himself into that oh, kind yeah, of, you know. I mean, if they repeat, I mean, he's. You know, the, to me, what we talked, what I asked that question of Stephanie yesterday, I think that's the most intriguing thing is ha- there's not much room for LeBron. You know, he's at that moment where. He might play two more years max, in my opinion. You say that, but he's still playing at a pretty damn high level. He's still playing at a high level, but he doesn't play as long. In other words, and he still commands a gigantic salary, is how the hell are the Lakers going to get better, surround him with better players? Oh, well, they've. They find a way. They, people didn't think they'd be able to pull off an Anthony Davis trade. They made it happen. Um, no, I mean, but I mean, since I Davis that. now, who I you that. know? I mean, that was a pretty ragtag bunch this year. There's better players there than people want to give them credit yeah. for. Dennis Schroeder's not a bad point guard to have. Right. Um, I I get what you're saying though. I mean, there's there's what's the guy's name that they got from the Clippers? Harrell? Uh, Montrez Harrell? Yeah, Montrez. What happened to him? Like the something happened between. Him and the coach, or him and LeBron, he like disappeared the last yeah. third of the season. I don't. I'm not worried about the Lakers right now, Stan. Yeah. This is the Buck, the Bucks moment. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to them. Um, you wonder if Chris Paul will have another chance to get this close. Um, it's a shame, I guess, for him to you know fizzle out the way that they did, but. It's 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 not as if it was only He's still got Jake from Steak Farm. <laughs> That's true. They'll always have Jake. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna make our connection here with Dan Connolly in just a moment. Dan, would you mind telling folks about the fine C three American Exteriors? Never mind talking about my friends at C three American Exteriors. If you want to call them, C three American Exteriors, to get a roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible, you should do that. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to their website, c3america.com, for a free analysis. And I believe we've got Mr. Connolly on the line with us from The Athletic, Dan Connolly. Dan, how are you? Good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Uh, what do you make of the uh, Baltimore Orioles of late? Uh, three in a row uh, out of nowhere, and uh, then the ace comes back, and it wasn't quite uh, the way they drew it up. Yeah, I think we're going to see this, you know, for the rest of the second half, and, and even, you know, we saw in the first half where they had no sweeps, you know, series sweeps, except for three at Boston and three at Houston, which were the best teams in, in baseball, right. or at least in the American League. So, um, you know, it's one of those things, baseball's a long season, you know, yada, yada, yada. We've talked about this a lot of times, Stan. But I, I think you're going to see pockets where, you know, when the bullpen's good, and especially when the bullpen's rested, which obviously we saw through, you know, after the All-Star break, I think the team's going to be okay. It's going to be competitive. But I think what happens is, as we see, is as the season goes on and the guys don't go very far, um, the starters don't go very far, then you're, you're talking about taxing the bullpen, and then you have this continual revolving door of relievers and guys who probably shouldn't be up and that kind of stuff. So it, it, it kind of is what it is. I would imagine that, you know, that, that the dust will settle and they'll continue to be a, a pretty bad team through the end of this year. Uh, the performance of John Means last night, any cause for concern in your book, or is that pretty much the way most guys come back after a long layoff? Yeah, you know his his stuff, his 
outings in the minors, uh, you know, for his rehab weren't particularly long, weren't particularly great. Right. So I think you, you expected him to be shaking off some rust. I mean, obviously the RPMs are down a little bit. There's some maybe concern on, uh, you know, on grip and things of that nature with his spin rate. But, I mean, at this moment right now, I don't think you really read anything into that start. Um, you know, could it be multiple factors? Sure. But more likely than anything, I think it's just simply – the, the fact that this guy has not pitched. Uh, one of the more, I guess, inspiring stories, I would say, for the Orioles this season is the performance of Spencer Watkins. Pretty unheralded, 700-plus uh, innings at the minor league level, and he's now come up and thrown three straight impressive starts for the Orioles. Obviously, you have to sort of take things with a grain of salt when a player is so fresh to major league teams and has not really been seen by rosters, but what do you get the sense of as far as the organizational's confidence and hope for Watkins? And do you think that maybe there is an expectation that he could be here for longer than just, you know, 2021? Well, I think that they really want to see it play out. And I think that, you know, they hope that every guy they claim off of waivers, every guy they, they purchase from another team can maybe take the next step for them. Um, you know, this is a guy who didn't really get much of a chance. He was a 30th round draft pick and kind of stayed in that level in, in the Detroit organization. Uh, I think they like what they've seen. Obviously, we, everyone's like what they've seen. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, you kind of kind of hold it with a grain of salt. you got to kind of think, okay, um, you know, this may not uh, stick. But at this point, if he's going six innings and he's pitching well and he's giving it just a you know, run or two per game, you ride it. You ride it for as, as long as you can. Uh, the, the thing about baseball, and we all know this, is, you know, they figure you out. There are no such thing as frauds in baseball. Um, you know, you, you, you can't do it for a full season. You can't do it for, you know, a couple years. I mean, they'll figure you out. So you have to be blessed with talent to be able to succeed and continue to succeed. And that's from a team standpoint as well as from an individual player standpoint. So, I, I mean, I think it's a great story. I think it's fun to watch. Um, I wouldn't read too much into it, uh, you know, especially think about what's going to happen in 2022. Um, at this point right now, just see if he can somehow maintain this. Dan, um, the other flip side of the story with with him, a little bit with Matt Harvey, and it's not a perfect story, but I'm wondering what you think of having watched him the past couple of years of Chris Holt. Is he really a d- potential difference maker on a staff? That's a really good question, Stan. And it's so hard for me to evaluate these guys, these coaches. And it always seems to be because we're not there every day. We don't know exactly what they're doing. We don't know what they started with and what the end product is. I know that a lot of people respect him and think that that his methodology methodology is is really strong and and that he knows what he's doing and that um, it does kind of bring out you know the the talent in some of these guys. You know, there's there's a lot of change up being uh, taught here, and and you know they're, they're kind of focusing on guys who may not even have great change ups, and work on that. And obviously, John Means gives a lot of credit to Holt for helping refine his change up. So, I mean, I think it's I think he obviously is a major can be a major league pitching coach. I think that you know he he finally got that. Uh, this year, and I think that it's a situation where, you know, I I think he's he's going to have some ups and downs like anybody making adjustments, you know, in, in major leagues. I do think that there was a concern, and I know there was a concern, that someone else was going to grab him if they didn't give him the yeah. pitching coach 
uh, job. Um, there was a concern in that even when they brought him in, you know, we did that whole thing about the pension stuff, but they tried to make it so that, you know, that he would have a, a you know, more lucrative situation in Baltimore than, you know, not be brought in by somebody else. So I think there is a lot of interest in Chris Holt or there had been. And I think that he is showing that he can, you know, work with some of these guys, but Stan, it's so hard for me to evaluate what a good coach is and what a, what a good coach is, and especially yeah. when the talent level isn't where, you know, they need to be because, you know, I mean, some of these guys, Don Long is a good hitting coach, Yeah, but, the, but, you know, but what does that mean as far as will, will they get the production from this team? And I don't know if you saw, it just came over that Anthony Santana there has been placed on the 10 day injured list. Um, and Keegan Aiken was supposed to pitch today is, has been placed on the 10 day uh, IL as well. So, um, so it's always moving for the Orioles, it seems, and I think that makes it more difficult for the coaches. I apologize, I didn't hear. I heard it Santander. It, is it Aiken? Yeah, yeah. He's, Aiken he's, and Santander have just been placed on the ten-day injured yeah. list. Uh, McKenna and Wells have been uh, brought up from AAA Norfolk. I don't know if that means Wells is going to start uh, in place of Aiken today or not. Okay, all right. It's um, I think that's sort of you know you mentioned the IL with Santander and Aiken, and I think that brings us to a little bit of the discussion I think that Orioles fans are having as to the timeline, maybe the aggression or lack thereof from Elias and company in promoting players who fans have ascribed some hope to. Now, it's not as if Kyle Bradish is blowing people away at the AAA level, but Jemai Jones is certainly hitting the cover off the ball, and Pat Vileka isn't exactly a, a major league high caliber second baseman. What do you make of the timeline for when they will be bringing up players who maybe have higher expectations? And what exactly do you think Elias and company are really looking for from some of these guys? I think Elias and company, at least from what I sense, is looking for legitimate progress and advancement at each of these levels. And that's what I think they should be looking for. There is no reason except for fan impatience to be pushing these guys up when they're not ready. The whole purpose of developing these guys is when they get to the major league level, they stay at the major league level. That is the whole absolute purpose. Jemai Jones is hitting the cover off ball, as you said, at AAA, but he's really has been struggling defensively. And to put a guy in a major league situation, I know he has had a cup of coffee, but to put him in a situation where he is not ready at one of those levels, whether it's defensive or offensive, um, can be problematic. And you don't want this guy to make six errors in his first two or three games, lose confidence, lose confidence in the plate, and have to go back down. So you need to make sure these guys are ready. Uh, there, there is nobody, with the exception of Jones, that I look at at AAA and say, this guy should be in the majors right now. Right? I mean, I, I totally, there's, there's that, I totally that, agree that with you. To yep. Sure. So then you have, so then you have double A guys, and mm-hmm. are you going to skip double A guys over triple A? Are you going to throw Grayson Rodriguez? Are you going to throw Adley Rutschman into the majors because they were doing well at double A? And, and as we've seen, you know, Rutschman had had some struggles to plate now in in July, and and I mean, you know, this guy's going to be a real good major leaguer, but it's the fan and patience thing, and I mean, you know, I, I think people forget that it really hasn't been that long. Sure, mm-hmm. it seems like that, but in September of 2017, this team was, was pushing for a wild card. It was an absolute disaster in 18, but Elias and company wasn't here. Hyde wasn't here. Let's, so not, really, forget, Dan, the, let's not forget, in 18, they started 22-10 and 10 in 2018. Right. Yeah, yeah right. so and I'm then, saying it hasn't been that really that long. Right. And, and so when you look at a full rebuild, and that's what this team did, because the, the most important thing, I think, and Stan and I have talked about this before, the lack of an international pipeline 
absolutely yep. crippled this yep. organization yep. for a lot of years. And it is still continuing to cripple this organization because if you go down the, the prospects list, there are really no international guys at the Orioles you know, have, have signed and developed. And that is supposed to come. And when that comes, I think you know this team, this organization, will have a better pipeline of talent to bring in. And you won't just be hoping for the guys that you drafted for or trades or, or whatever. Um, so it's going to take some time. And this team right now is not going to be good. It's not going to be good this year, and it's not going to be good next year. And I'm not 100% sure it's going to be good 2023. So I think they're, you know you don't bring these guys and waste their service time and, and all of that stuff when they're not ready just, be, you know, just to appease some fans who are impatient. Dan, one question about Rutschman, and I interviewed Phil Rye about three weeks ago, and he brought up something very interesting uh, to me because I, I was taking the approach that I think the Orioles want Rutschman working with Rodriguez and D.L. Hall for a while. And he said, well, that's a good point. But he goes, the other thing is if they would somehow try and speed up his clock to get him on the 40-man roster, that if next Next April, yep. there's no baseball. He couldn't play minor league baseball because he's on the 40-man roster. Exactly. And I've actually been writing that, Stan. That's, yep. that, and that's not just for him. Yep. That's for a lot of these other guys yep. that are on the 40-man roster. And you have to. You know, that's something that has to be concerned. Obviously, Mike Elias and the Orioles are hoping that there is a CBA in place sure. and that everything just goes normal. But you have to have some contingencies. You, you know, a guy like, like Rutschman, a guy like uh, – you know, Rodriguez or Hall or whoever you want to put into that, that tier of really good players who just aren't there yet, you know, you don't want them to lose another year of development or, or right. several months of development. Um, they already did that in 2020. You don't want them to do that again in 2022. So there's really no reason, no good reason in my estimation, to, to put these guys up there, um, except, like I said, to appease sanitation. You know, and, and, and I just don't think that that makes sense. But I think that is a huge point. And like I said, I've been writing it more and more now in that you, you don't want these guys on the 40-man roster right now because the only people who should be placed on the 40-man roster are guys that are currently either on the 40-man roster or have to be, assuming yep. you're going to have a Rule 5 draft in December, and you have to protect some of these guys who are now eligible for it. Guys like, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I'm not really sure, but there, there are several guys out there that are – would you know have to be protected for the rule five? Are you under or have you heard anything from from maybe Rutschman's camp or when he was drafted about what the timeline or the expectation from him was? Do you think if he were not called up in the majors by maybe mid season next year, that maybe there could be a little bit of contempt as far as all that's concerned? I think if a guy feels he's ready, there's always going to be a contentious nature if he's not being called up and he's one of the top prospects. I think that just happens. It happens, you know, with guys. It happened in the Weeders camp. It ha- it just happens because a guy is dominating at a certain level and feels like he should be in the majors, and, and he's a, obviously a really good player. Um, I, I don't think that that's really much of a concern. Uh, I think that they feel like, I mean, they, they've dealt with his agent, his camp for a long time. I mean, he wants to be in the majors. There's no question, but I think he understands there's some learning to do. And I think, again, the, the main goal here is for Adley Rutschman to get up and be a 140 start catcher behind the plate every year for the next six, eight, ten years. You got to get him prepared for that. Um, and, and that's one of those things, you know, you're starting to see him in, in July and guys go up and down, and it's a really long season, and he hasn't had a season like this before. I know he did play a little bit after his uh, Oregon State junior year 
you know, he played a little bit in the pros in, in 2019. But it's not the same as playing every single day. Um, and I think that that's just something that does wear on players, and they have to get used to it. Dan, you've covered this team for a good while, and a nice chunk of it. We had Buck Showalter as the manager of the team, and Buck uh, was one of the smartest handlers of the media that I've ever seen, and I think he had sort of everybody kind of, you know, uh, fond of him, love him, and that kind of thing. What kind of grades do you give Brandon Hyde on, A, the managing of the team, and B, how he's handled himself, and what do you think his future with this organization is? Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me try to get through all, each of it. Um, you know, it's funny with Buck. Uh, Buck was a love him and, and, and hate him kind of guy. Um, you know, you say he, he really did well with the media, but he also, you know, irritated the living junk out of us at times as well. Um, he kind of is what he was, and he was a, a brilliant manager. Um, he did, you know, he, he people have called him manipulative, and I, I certainly saw yep. parts of that. I don't see that in Brandon. I think Brandon kind of is what he is. Exactly. Um, how do I grade him as a manager? It's a complete, a huge capital I for me um, as an incomplete. Yep. It is so imp- – like I said, we talked about the coaches previously, Stan. I mean, to the manager, I mean, you know, I, there are – the one thing I look at him and I, and I think that, that, that I have some issues with is his handling of the bullpen which I believe is the most difficult thing for a manager to do in the major leagues. And I believe Buck Showalter was, was tremendous at it, yeah. at it, the best I've ever seen. Yeah. And so, and, and of course the irony is, is that one of the things he's most remembered for is how he didn't handle the bullpen well right. in the 2016 uh, wildcard game. So, you know, it is a very difficult thing to do. And I, I believe that Brandon, you know, is still learning that, that mastery of it. However, he also doesn't have, Britton and O'Day and Brock and Mattis when he was going good and, and Givens. I mean, these are not the, this, these aren't the same pieces here. So I, I give him a little bit of a pass on that because they're still trying to figure out who can actually pitch in the majors. As far as handling the players and handling these losses and handling us as the media, I think he's done as well as anybody could do. Yeah. Um, I think he's got a, a good you know demeanor toward it. I think he understands it. I think he gets ticked. And we see that sometimes. I think he tries to have a sense of humor through it. So, I mean, I think as far as that's concerned, I think he's doing a pretty good job. I'd give him a a B-plus, maybe an A-minus in that category. As far as what the future holds, I do believe he's coming back next year. I do believe that's already, and they just haven't announced it. Um, But after that, I don't know. I don't know because, you know, that's four years. Um, Mike will be coming. We believe he has a five-year. He'll be coming towards the end of his uh, tenure and then something has to happen there and oftentimes managers become fall guys at that point um so i don't know i mean i i think that mike elias understands that brandon hyde has done as best as he could with what has been given to him and i think that's really where the the bar is right now just two more for you. I knew we got to let go in a second here, Dan. Appreciate you taking the time for us this morning. Um, obviously, the trade deadline is nearing, and in the Orioles being in a rebuild would figure to be in sell mode if that opportunity presents itself. However, you look at the roster, and there's not exactly clear and obvious candidates that would warrant being traded. Do you expect there to be action for the Orioles, or do you kind of think it's just going to hold pat? I think there will be a little bit of action because I think that Mike Elias sees this as 
an opportunity to get his pipeline better, to get his uh, minor league situation better. He has done that. He did that last year. He was aggressive in trading several relievers last year. I believe he'll probably try and do the same thing. I believe there is a market for Paul Fry. There is a market for a Tanner Scott. There may be a market for a Cole Sulcer. Um, for teams, you know, contenders that need extra pieces in their bullpen, I think all three of the guys I've mentioned, they're, they're under team control, so they're interesting um, to other teams. You, know, you don't just have them for a rental, you have them for, for several years. Uh, but I also think that they, you know, one or two of those could be considered expendable in a bullpen that's still trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, the other big ones, the big four, as I've called them previously, obviously Santander just went on the sure. Santander IL, so you forget forget about him uh means and mullins i don't see going anywhere and then it comes down to mancini right. and simply i think mancini is worth more to the baltimore orioles in 2021 than any other team so i would say no because the team would have to overpay for him for the orioles to be able to, to to swallow letting that guy and that story go um so i would think that if it happens it's going to be more on the on the relief end and then lastly um the timeline in general for the orioles seems to be tied to adley rutschman and grayson rodriguez and company but there still remains the possibility that they could extend that timeline by doing the things that we've seen the tampa ray rays do which is you know buy out arbitration years and try to keep players for affordable numbers do you expect that will be a thing the orioles do moving forward or are we still kind of just unsure about how they're going to operate like that well, the interesting thing is they, they really only have one guy that you look at as, as far as extension and needing to extend in the next couple of years, and that's Mancini, who's a free yeah. agent after 2022. Most of the rest of these guys are free agents until 2024, 2025. So you don't have to necessarily make any decision on them. I mean, sure, you can extend it, but you know, John Means is 28 years old. and He's under team control through 2024. Are you going to extend him to 2027, 2026? So I think the Orioles are in a good, really good position in that sense in that they really only have one guy that they have to worry about extending. Those other guys are with them, you know, if they choose to pay them in arbitration, which at this moment, you know, you would think they would. Well, he is Dan Connell. You can find his work at The Athletic. Always one of the, appreciate One of the best. Always appreciate him taking the time for us. And you can find him on Twitter at Dan Connolly 2016 uh, Thank you, sir, for taking the time. We look forward to catching up soon, all right? Always fun, guys. Thank talk, you. Talk soon, Dan. There he goes, Dan Connolly from The Athletic, uh, giving us a little bit of intel as to how the Orioles may operate moving forward with the trade deadline nearing and the team, you know, attempting to... I, I think Fry is definitely 100% going to get traded. I would imagine so. I, he I hasn't exactly excelled in the second half since I, the... Uh, I think they're a little nervous about trading Scott, and there's no financial reason you got to trade him. So if they get blown away right. and really get two, two mm-hmm. not one... Two really good, meaningful prospects that help in other areas. They might take a shot at. That. I mean, you see the the deal they got for Givens. Um, yeah. You get Vavra, you get Nevin, you get another young kid, the nineteen year old outfielder who I think maybe has the highest upside. His name escapes me, but he has the highest upside of maybe any of them. And and so, would they take a deal like that? I mean, Givens had fewer years of team control left on his contract, right. so it was kind of a crap or get off the pot situation for him. And Scott, I think the expectation for everybody, knowing how electric his arm is, is that a more established track record for him would only serve to make him more, more valuable. More valuable, yeah. And so if you were to keep him for another year, and that's all assuming that he pitches well between now and then, which you can't know for sure, but I think that you'd hope that would be the case, then chances are you would be not selling low, but selling lower than maybe would be necessary 
in that instance. I think the same could that's, be said for Dylan Tate. Yeah. Um, that's my fear on those two guys. Yeah, and it's tough. It is a tough game because relievers are a very uh, fickle business. They're a fungible commodity. Yeah, you you can excel one year and the next year you will you lose it. But these guys are young enough where you would think that shouldn't that that falling off a cliff should not be in the cards. You know, uh, Sulcer is such an interesting guy to me, but I've kind of made my determination that when Cole Sulcer comes into a, f- a game with a five-run lead <laughs> or a four-run deficit, yeah. he's going to be great. It's when he's in a one-run game or a tie game, mm-hmm. he seems to automatically walk the first batter of the first full inning he comes in. You know, you were so. you were maybe fooled a little bit at the start of the year when he was their closer and had some success. You mean last I, year? Yeah. yeah, and so now you're. He kind of is who he is. I would imagine the market for him would not be that extensive. Um, I would think he would probably be the fourth or fifth option for teams looking yeah. for relief help. And if the market really gets, you know, thinned out and they are still desperate, then who knows? You might be able to pry a guy away from a team. But I can't imagine it will be anybody of real substance. So it kind of is what it is. Um, means there's not enough time between now and the deadline for him to really assert himself as the ace that he was pitching like at the start of the year, which, you know, maybe it benefits the Orioles. Maybe they hold on to him and he proves to be that guy next year as well. What I'm I'm seeing with John Means, and this is not affected by last night's Mm -hmm. performance, is I think he's never going to have the value that you think he could have if he'd stay healthy. This is becoming sort of a repetitious pattern with him that he has this arm weakness after about 40 50 innings keep in mind yeah. last year the innings that pitchers were unable to build up yep. uh, it's asking a lot for them to come out and expect them to throw six plus every night so maybe that contributes to a bit of the injury issues and the fatigue but i was a bit he, know, had, the, he had the same issues in 19 as well yeah. i saw a tweet out from somebody talking about i think it was well, I might as well just pull the tweet up. One of the uh, Baltimore Suns beater, Nathan Ruiz, I think it was, yeah. talking about the, and, and Dan Connolly referenced it in the conversation, the spin rate of John Means mm-hmm. last night. And it is concerning when you know the context of everything and know that MLB is cracking down on the substances and doing the pitching checks. Um, he was substantially an average of about over 120 or 130 RPMs for every single one of his pitches. His changeup was the lowest of any of the ones as far as the drop is concerned. And it's hard not to speculate and wonder whether or not that is completely attributed to the foreign substance thing, whether or not the foreign substance side of things is the difference between John Means being an above-average pitcher or a very, very good pitcher. Mm -hmm. So with baseball cracking down midseason, how much of an effect did that have on him? Uh, is it only that he was coming back from injury? And it's once he shakes the rust off, you'll see his stuff return more to the levels that we saw early in the year. Of course, that's what Orioles fans hope. But, you know, it's, it's not unreasonable to wonder. You know, that's all we can do, really, is, is, is try and take the information that we have and, and piece together and try and draw some conclusions. But until he comes out and really dominates, it's going to be a story. Yep. And, and it's, it's a shame because... He was so great at the start of the year. Yep. He was truly one of the best pitchers in baseball. So it's, you know, you never want to see a guy like that have struggles. And it's relative struggles. He wasn't like a monstrosity last night, but he, we come to expect more 
than what he gave. And, you know, coming off of some quality pitching performances before his start, it's a shame to see John Means be the one to break that trend. But We'd hate to see it cause a discussion about the press box coverage. Yeah, right. You know? We don't need that. We don't need that yeah, bad no, juju that's, here. No, that's bad voodoo. Yeah, all right. We're going to take our first break here. Today's show from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio is brought to you by Window Nation. And right now, you can get 50% off all styles of windows, plus put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest for 24 months. Did you say months. no interest? Seems a little too good to be true, doesn't it, Stan? Well, I might but just go buy windows just to do even it, if right? I don't. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Keep them in the storage. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Tell them Glenn Clark sent you Window Nation, the perfect fit. On the other side, we will talk a little bit more about the NBA Finals, and we'll also do two Utes with Intern Jack before we talk with Drew Forrester at the top of the 11 a.m. hour. It is Glenn Clark Radio, Kyle Ottenheimer, Stan the Fan Charles. We will be right back. Glory Days Grill's popular summer seasonal menu is back with favorites like their Very Berry Salad and Smoky Thigh Wings. It also features the all-new shrimp po'boy, crispy fried shrimp on a freshly baked sub roll with lettuce, tomato, and a house-made spicy remoulade. Other delicious items include a 12-ounce New York strip steak, the barbecue chicken bowl, barbecue ribs, and Smoky Thigh Wings combo platter, zucchini fries, and a key lime pie. All of these meals pair well with Sam Adams' summer or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. Glory Days Grill is hiring all positions. Want to work for a great family-oriented company known for their commitment to the community? Stop into one of their restaurants and speak with a manager. Management opportunities are available. The Olympics start soon. Stop in and watch the games at Glory Days Grill. Every child who dines at one of their restaurants during the Olympic Games will receive a gold medal. Find out more by going to glorydaysgrill.com. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Baseball is back in full in 2021, and the bat around has got you covered from bell to bell. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, and you can catch me along with my co-host, Zach Goodman, every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 on the bat around right here at Press Box Sports. We'll break down every win, every loss, and everything in between, plus tell you who we take to rake each week as the Orioles look to get back in the hunt and bring competitive baseball back to Baltimore. Catch us at PressBoxOnline.com slash the bat around or at Facebook.com slash Sports. That's the bat around every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 right here at Press Box sports. It takes time to get rich, flavorful coffee beans from the lush mountain regions of Colombia and Brazil to Royal Farms. But less than a minute to get yourself a delicious hot cup of the finest and freshest coffee in the world. Because Royal Farms' new Swiss-made coffee machines grind those rich, flavorful coffee beans and brew them one magnificent cup at a time. It's why Royal Farms makes the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. This is GlennClarkRadio.com. Nothing but net. And we are back, Glenn Clark Radio, from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio here at Press Box. Today's show is brought to you by Sports and Social Maryland, and they are bringing the ultimate fan experience to you at Live Casino and Hotel. They take sports viewing to the next level with a massive 100-foot media wall, 47-foot big screen, 40 HD TVs, extensive beer selection, big eats, in-venue gaming, bowling, and more. The perfect destination for sports enthusiasts and fun seekers. We are raising the sports bar at Sports and Social Maryland. Come see for yourself. Book your table now at sportssocialmd.com. That's sportssocialmd.com. We were talking a little bit about it off the air, but it was quite the scene in Milwaukee uh, last night with a sold-out arena, 17,000, and uh, three times that, more than three times that, outside watching They estimated the game. about 65,000, 70,000 people. It looked every there. bit of it. Um, have to imagine that that was, and it's, it's, you know, Baltimore can relate as a small market. Obviously, we don't have an NBA team, but in it's a feeling unlike any other when your team is at the center of the sports world and you are able to kind of show your pride and passion that you have for your team as long-suffering fans. It had been 50 years that's since a, the Bucks won a, the finals. You know, what hit me was that we are now with the Orioles. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like an infant in the radio business 1983, that's 17 and 21 is 38 years now. We're nearing 40 years since we've been in a World Series. And it's, you know, I would imagine there were some thin years there in Milwaukee where those stands were probably, you talk about 17,000 there last night. They would have been lucky probably to have a quarter of that on certain nights. Um, And I think it goes to show to an extent that you know, for those Orioles fans complaining about the rebuild and saying, what was us? I can't believe we are, you know, meddling in obscurity the way that we are. If and when the Baltimore Orioles reach what it is they're trying to reach, I fully expect Camden Yards to be packed. Maybe not sold out every night, but the fans will return and they have a short memory as far as the losing is concerned. So, there's no guarantee that it reaches that level. Obviously, you need a few things to break right. You need to get a Giannis Antetokounmpo with the 15th overall pick and have him develop into the superstar that he is. And we hope Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez and company will stake claim to that same title and bring the Orioles back to relevance. But it was really uh, it was a, quite a scene. And I, you asked off the air, would you have been outside at that? And granted, uh, the COVID factor is certainly yeah. a part of the discussion and all of that. But... I don't think if I were a Milwaukee resident that I would have felt right just watching from home and and letting that be. I mean, for example, when the Ravens 
made that incredible run in 2012. Like, I did watch the games at home, mm-hmm. but after the Mile High you miracle. You were out looking for girls well, it wasn't necessarily. by you know, Federal Hill. I did go out to Federal yeah. Hill. It wasn't specifically looking for girls, but it was, you saw the pictures. Come on, be honest. I might have found girls, but <laughs> you saw the pictures overhead of Federal Hill streets just packed. And there's no comparison to that sort of shared joy. Like, nobody... Well, that's what, when we talk about what sports bring to a community, that's what we're talking about. They add to the fiber and feeling of, of a community. I don't think community. there was a shred of animosity in Milwaukee last night, unless you were... And even if you were a Suns fan walking around, I can't imagine it was a hostile interaction. It was... It was elation. It was absolutely the best feeling probably they have felt as sports fans in a long, long time. Granted, the Packers won the Super Bowl in 2012 or whatever it was, and certainly they've had their moments. But Can I ask you an important question? No. Do you think there's a chance that at Glory Days Grill today yeah. that there's just a small sampling of that sort of shared community watching the Oriole game today? I would imagine that the Orioles might draw a little fewer than 17,000 or 60,000, right. but uh, it's not a bad place to be for the 12 o'clock game this afternoon. I can't you think can of, have a great lunch. can't great think of burger, many better combinations soup. than yeah. an afternoon baseball game and some smoky thigh wings. And at yeah, Glory Days. No Road. doubt about yeah. it. In Towson. Indeed. Or there's yeah. plenty of locations, wherever you want to go. Where they go uh, I think they have one in Columbia. There's plenty. Of, they're, yeah. they're spread all over for good yeah. reason. They're delicious. Yeah. Um, no, I mean that was it was really cool. I don't I'm not a I don't have a team in the NBA, right? I don't have a team to root for. The Washington Wizards used to be a team that I rooted for, but through the years I've sort of detached a little bit from that and you become more of a fan of players and you can appreciate just the overall sport itself. But I think that the way that when you watch uh, a movie like from Scorsese in New York is a character in the film. Like Milwaukee was a character in that series in the NBA Finals there. And you really did feel the, I would say, like the emotional release of the fans and and how appreciative they were to see their team break through and to see a guy like Giannis Attentacumpo stick and stay and and bring that moment to the community. So there's a tinge of jealousy in the sense that like you want that celebration as an Orioles fan, but it does remind you about what the potential is for a small market like that to be able to celebrate such a moment. So very cool to see, and congratulations again to not only the Milwaukee Bucks, but the city of Milwaukee for being able to have that shared moment. So cool stuff. Definitely cool stuff. That brings us to our Two Utes segment. Two Utes is brought to you by the program from the man across from me, the Stan the Fan Variety Show, as he has two shows every week, Monday and Wednesday, Monday with Russ Grimsley, as I believe your, your guest on Monday. Remind me again. Who was your guest on this we past had Monday? Gary Kendall last, Gary Kendall, last Monday. Manager of the Norfolk Tides. And then uh, tonight you will be speaking with Terry Hasseltine about the announced uh, developments with the bid for the, the 2026 World Cup. The big push World for Cup. the 2026 to get a Indeed. game or something meaningful here in 
the state of Maryland and the city of Baltimore. are understandably holding out hope to get some eyes on the city of Baltimore and yep. shine light on just how you know rampant that soccer fandom is as well in the community. So good stuff there. Really enjoy what you do there. Both shows are live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. 6 o'clock tonight? Is that 7 o'clock tonight, tonight. 6 o'clock on Monday. There you go. And they're both available the next day in case you can't make it live at PressBoxOnline.com. And his weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at C3America.com. So... That brings us to two Utes. Intern Jack is going to tell us what is uh, making waves in the world of the younger folk here on planet Earth. Uh, Jack, what do you have for us for number one? So for the first thing I have, it's, it is dealing with the NBA Finals yesterday. Interesting. Can't imagine how that would happen and right. not like people talking about it exactly. at all, you know? Um, so it's kind of bringing back up what James Harden said last year about Giannis. Okay. Kind of The whole thing is just like sort about of – About how I wish – if only I were seven feet right. tall, you know, so kind of thing? Yeah, you said I wish I could be seven feet tall and just dunk, takes no skill at all. And I feel like that that sentence in itself is just more or less like how the entire Bucks season has just come full circle and how like Giannis is just – instantly turned into probably a top five power forward in NBA history. Yeah. He's got everything you could possibly need for all the accolades to to fulfill everything you could possibly do. But. I think he also gets unfairly criticized for, like I said yesterday with Stephanie Reddy, they, he's sort of a perimeter player and a power forward. He's a point forward of, of sorts, so if you want to criticize him as a point guard, he might not have the most extensive bag of tricks as far as his handle is concerned, but at that level, that skill, I mean, he is clearly able to do everything a power forward needs to do and then some. Well, I mean, yeah. he every, every game he's the strongest, he's the fastest, he's the most physically dominant yep. person out there. No doubt. So, I mean, and it, it's funny to say that, like, this – the way this season ended is probably as good of a story as it gets unless the Suns had won the NBA Finals. I don't know. But I, I hear think you. both stories no doubt. are just, they're like too good to even be true at that. And in the way that Giannis was able to do it yesterday, I mean, he scored 50 points. They were in a 50-year drought. So like th- little things like that have come, come a long way. And then um, it's actually kind of just like a funny stat with the whole thing. But uh, P.J. Tucker actually had beaten... Every yeah, two th- like from the 2018 he a, Rockets team. He was a member team. of the Rockets when the Rockets had hopes of making the right. finals when they, made, and when they, they lost, lost in the, the Western Conference yeah. Finals. Yeah. So he actually beat yeah. all of the other players. So that's just like a little fun, it was, cool. It was cool. Chris Paul, Clint Capella, Trevor Reza, Trevor Reza, and, and James, uh, Harden. James Harden. Yeah. yeah. So then and then with the whole thing with James Harden, it's like uh, James Harden's texting uh, Kyrie and KD like ah oh, just wait till next year, guys. Like in their in their team group yep. chat. So. We'll see. I'm hoping hoping they don't win one. I'm kind of I'm not the biggest James Harden fan myself. Yeah, I hear you. He's not exactly. There's a lot to dislike about him, but he is an incredible scorer. He's an incredible player. Yeah. yeah. I think that when you talk about the storyline thing, I think I would rather look. I understand. I respect Chris Paul, tremendous surefire Hall of Famer, somebody that is clearly one of the best point guards that's played in the NBA. But a personal think, friend of Jake. Yeah, of course, Farm. of course, and Cliff. Uh, I think that ultimately, I would rather a guy like Giannis, 26 years old have the start of his legacy be aided by a championship than I would, and Booker would have that claim as well. It's not as if there's not side of that, like Aiton and Booker would also have that ability. But I would rather see Giannis 
earn that early in his career and potentially be able to build towards something right. greater moving forward than I would with the storyline of Chris Paul finally like getting his title. And I do have my issues with Chris Paul as well. He does complain a lot, and he does have some uh, annoying... F- like the push of Giannis when he was doing the alley-oop was pretty Bush League, but leave that be. No, I'm very happy that Giannis got his title. I've always been a big fan of him, and it's impossible with like how nice he is like outside of the game to just not be thrilled yeah. for him. A ni- he's he's got to be one of the nicest guys in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard a complaint about like who he is as a person. There are so many like charming stories about him. His rookie year, he was taking a trip to the Western Union to send money back to his family in Greece, and he sent too much money back. He didn't have money left over to get a taxi cab oh, to the arena. This, yeah. So he had to, he was literally running. Some people saw him running. He ran a mile on his way to the, to the stadium to get there. People saw him and were like, are you the Bucks rookie? And they were like, yeah. So he squeezed into the back of somebody's Honda Fit at like <laughs> six foot ten. And got a ride to the stadium and was like just effusively thankful and all that. Like he's a charming dude. He's a really, really, really fun guy to root for. Yeah. Number yeah. two. Okay. Um. So with the Olympics starting, I guess in like a day or two. I guess they might have started. I don't. Yeah. Ex- I don't know. It's yeah. starting. It's starting it, very soon. Yes, this week. Um, nobody yeah, knows. So nobody there was. Knows. So Kanye West is actually dropping a new album this Friday. Stan knows all about that. Um, but no, so it's kind of, it's dealing with Shakari Richardson because okay. she's like the main figure in like the music promo video for okay. like his day, like his number one song on that album. And, you know, kind of just like speaks to this whole thing that's been dealing with Shakari. I feel like had Shakari Richardson not have smoked any weed, I feel like I probably would not have known who she was other than like, yeah, she's probably the fastest American. You might have known by the Olympics because I yeah, think the I, expectation was that she would She would have won right, gold. Right. She's clearly the fastest woman alive but in in getting like the publicity and mm-hmm. everything like that it's kind of like people are saying oh like she's gonna she, if this hadn't happened like she wouldn't be who she was and like all of this kind of stuff i mean she i mean it could be a net gain as far as the uh well yeah the, exactly the social also, impact well she's also only 21 right so, like, she'll have other she's my presumably. age yeah. so i think she's all right i think she'll be able to make a few more olympic games and one in would her, think yeah in her uh little uh, track are you career. are you anticipating Kanye's next album do you care about Kanye um, what is the youth how are the youths treating Kanye these so, days so like the whole way that they were shot was it was like um, it's because it's it was kind of like a big F you I feel like to the whole Olympics and like sure. the way it was directed because it's her like lining up on like the what is it like we start the, yeah the, like the starting spot the yeah. Start, yeah um so it's like her getting ready with like the lights down and then like it like uh, the lights like come on bright lights like yeah, she yeah. takes off running so it's like she's not gonna be able to do that real so like they kind of reenacted it for that whole thing so it's kind of just like she's growing off of what her mistake mm-hmm. was but also like at the end of the day I mean what are people really gonna yell at like she has she's signed by Nike she was she's fully endorsed She'll by them right. so I think yeah. I think she's okay so but about Kanye do you care um does anybody care anymore so, like, the overall thing with Kanye is, like, his music has drastically gotten worse oh, as, yeah. as his career has, has gone on. Without I mean, a doubt. I'm not the biggest Kanye West fan. I like some of his songs. But, but you were too young for it to be there, like, really for the golden age, right? Like, you were too young to be college dropout, late registration, yeah. like, graduation. To I mean, feel I, the know what, I know what I know it way before my time. Right. I mean, I've, I've picked that up. Yeah, on the yeah, la- yeah. latter half of my of my of my life, but career, <laughs> my career, I was about to say my career, but um, but yeah, no, I, I hear mean, you. No, it's I'm, just like a big publicity stunt for her, and kind of just like a wake up call for yeah. like the Olympic team. Like, yeah, eh, maybe we should have yeah. should have taken. They're her, they're but. making some mistakes. It seems they're not allowing that one blind deaf swimmer to have her mom come yeah, and be I did her see aid. That. Like, yeah. come on, guys, what are we doing here? 
So number three. Um. So the quarterback for Alabama, Bryce Young. I think I saw this. He um. He's actually just approached a million dollars in NIL deals. Crazy. He's yet to even play a down for Alabama. He's yet to even start a football game in college. So I mean, it's just like kind of crazy what the whole like NIL is going to do for not just like the actual team itself, but just like individual players, even more so. Like now you're going to get guys that are going to go to Alabama strictly for the fact of Alabama in itself. Alabama football is a, it's basically a company. Like you're going to work for them. So like if you're going, if you're going to consider going to like maybe a lesser division one or not like lesser, but definitely not the tier as like Alabama, Ohio state, like Georgia, those kinds of schools. I mean, it's going to be tough to compete amongst the rest of the country because just simply signing yeah. your name to Alabama just instantly puts you in a tier of, of like a completely Granted, you got to end up being the starting quarterback. I don't think the backup quarterback's nearing six figures as far as NIL is concerned. But, like, no, you're right. And when you talk about and Maryland. NIL names, image, and likeness. Yeah. 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 We talk about we've discussed Maryland's potential boon for recruiting by being close to two major metropolitan markets and how that might be advantageous. I think for and granted, Alabama's a different animal, right? Tuscaloosa is a small place, but Alabama runs it. So it's not terribly surprising, but that's a pretty staggering number right. to think about just for NIL when a year ago they weren't able to make any money. That's pretty wild. No, so yeah, exactly. But it's gonna be kind of interesting to see if there's gonna be like sort of drama amongst players on the team, because if you're like the quarterbacks making a million dollars off of deals and the guys that are protecting him are getting zero dollars because, like, who knows the starting right tackle for Alabama? Like, I don't NFL know. NFL scouts probably. Well, they do. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, like, the popularity amongst, like, just college sure. football fans, like, nobody's going to know really sure. who that guy is until uh, he, l- later in the season or if he gets drafted. So. I hear that Ozzie Newsom actually sets the, the over-under figures uh. on that players in Alabama <laughs> will get for their NIL. Underreported. Yeah. Underreported yeah. story. No, I, yeah, it's interesting. You saw Derek King, the quarterback for Miami. Yeah. He's hooking his teammates up and right. spreading the wealth a little bit. You hope Bryce Young's doing something similar for his linemen and the people around him maybe aren't getting that same publicity. But it is a uh, eye-opening number yeah. when I you mean, see that before he even plays is, and starts the game. Is there an NIL advantage to working on the Glenn Clark show? You know, you Glenn would Clark think. Radio. You would think. Uh, I, uh, I've i yet to Jake see. Would, I mean, Jack would know. Yeah, no. Jack would know. He might be up nearing a million. I'm a little <laughs> bit under right now, but I'm counting the days. I'm Counting the days until I see those checks coming in. Good stuff, Jack. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to take our second break. On the other side, uh, it's a hooded four iron on Twitter. But you know him as Drew Forrester is going to join us to talk about his experience in Omaha and some other odds and ends. It is Glenn Clark Radio from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. It's brought to you by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. We will be right back. Here. It. Watch out! For the first time, the PGA Tours FedEx Cup Playoffs is coming to Maryland. The top 70 players in the world converge on Kays Valley Golf Club for the 2021 BMW Championship, August 24th through 29th, 2021. Baltimore's iconic and challenging course provides the perfect test as the playoffs heat up. Tickets are now available. Don't miss your chance to watch the drama unfold. Visit BMWChampionship.com today. 
C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. This is how you get a premium cup of coffee. Better and faster than the drip, drip, drip method. And way better than a large urn of lukewarm coffee made who knows when. At Royal Farms, our new Swiss-made coffee machines grind fresh premium beans on the spot and then brew them one cup at a time for the freshest, most flavorful cup of premium coffee you can buy. This is Royal Farms Coffee. It's better because it's the freshest coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Sports and Social Maryland is bringing the ultimate fan experience to you at Live Casino and Hotel. We take sports viewing to the next level with a massive 100-foot media wall, 47-foot big screen, 40 HD TVs, extensive beer selection, big eats, in-venue gaming, bowling, and more. The perfect destination for sports enthusiasts and fun seekers. We're raising the sports bar at Sports and Social Maryland. Come see for yourself. Book your table now at SportsSocialMD.com. That's SportsSocialMD.com. Hi, it's Glenn Clark for Window Nation. When it comes to cost and quality, Window Nation has you covered, saving you thousands more on your windows compared to national brands while providing the same, if not better, quality. Want detail? Window Nation measures each window three times to ensure proper fit. And after they install your new windows, they leave your home cleaner than it was before. Get 50% off every style window, plus put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest for 24 months. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Tell them Glenn Clark sent you Window Nation, the perfect fit. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? And Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Tweet us at... Glenn Clark Radio, 21st Century Talk Radio at GlennClarkRadio.com. And we are back, Glenn Clark Radio, from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studios. The first or the top of the 11 a.m. hour is here. And remind you guys to get out to Glory Days Grill and try some of their new summer favorites. I assure you, you truly cannot go wrong, no matter what you order. We love the folks at Glory Days. We'll appreciate their support. Great day make, today to go watch no the Oriole game there at Glory Days Grill. No doubt about it. Uh, today's show is also brought to you by Great Eights Memorabilia. And coming up this Sunday, you can celebrate the return to training camp with a crab feast featuring Baltimore edge rusher Tyus Bowser at Jimmy's Famous Seafood. Your $108 VI-dollar VIP ticket gets you the crab feast with all your Maryland-steamed crabs, a buffet of Jimmy's Seafood favorites, 
an open bar and your VIP meet and greet and autograph opportunity with Tyus Bowser. The event benefits Casey Cares and cannot be missed, so get your tickets now by going to great8smemorabilia.com. That's the number eight, great8smemorabilia.com. Joining in with Drew Forestry, should be with us in just a second, actually. He's here right now. Good morning, Drew. How's it going? It's myself and Stan the Fan Charles. It's nice to see your face. Yes, sir. So uh, I, That is my face. I'm here. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, first time talking to you since your trip to Omaha. I understand that it was probably quite emotional for you. We uh, saw that Ethan got to uh, carry the bag on the final hole there. Um, talk us through you know, the entire experience. I know maybe you would have liked to have putt a little bit better, but um, in general, like, what was it like to be out on the course with some of the guys that you looked up to when you were like, watching golf when you were younger? Well, the only thing I didn't like about it was that it had senior attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it was twice as much fun and five times as hard, I would say. Like, I knew it would be hard, but until you see the place in person, you have no way of making any assessment. I mean, the people that I talked to who had played there in the one that they had in 2013 all described it perfectly, that every second shot was uphill and it played way longer than 7,000 yards and that if you didn't hit it in the right spots on the greens, you were in trouble. And I checked off every one of those boxes by (laughs) – probably Sunday. Um, once my caddy got in there Saturday, we actually got there Friday. My caddy got there Saturday. We went out and walked the front nine on Saturday. And then we walked the back nine on Sunday. And I, you know, he said, as we were walking up the 18th fairway, what score would you take right now and <laughs> not play? What would you sign off on right now? And I said, 80, 80, both days. If right. I could sign off on that and not play, I'd be thrilled. So I missed that by a few, but I played way, way, way better than my score Mm -hmm. indicated. I just didn't putt the greens the way I needed to putt them. And it wasn't even that I putted poorly. It's just that I missed a lot of putts inside of six feet that really would have changed, certainly would have changed my score. I, I, I don't think I would have, I didn't have enough in me to make the cut. The cut was, a lot of people felt the cut was going to be eight or nine over and it wound up being I think six, six or seven, mm-hmm. but um, I played way better than my score indicated. I just didn't make enough putts, uh, particularly on Thursday. I had a really good chance to have a good score on Thursday, and I just I missed. The, I I putted very defensively, which kind of based on where I hit it, I I sort of needed to. Um, I didn't make a double on the first day, which was really a. I mean, it was a, that's just an accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a testament to the way I struck the ball. And on Friday, I actually hit the ball better tee to green than I did on Thursday. But I hit two. I only missed five fairways the second day. But two I missed. I put myself in really bad spots and made double on both of those holes. But other than those two holes, I didn't really play poorly at all. I just – I was really length challenged. You know, around here – even though I'm 58 and I'm playing against a lot of 50 and 52 and 54 year old guys, my length is pretty serviceable around here, but there um, against those guys, I was really length challenged. And the designer of the golf course, um, Perry Maxwell is known for fairways that have what, what I guess the simplest way to put it would be levels. And um, 
he is a level fairway guy. So he builds the hole from the green backwards. And most of the time, designers build it from the tee box to the green. Maxwell believed the closer to the hole you got, the better vantage point you should have to look at the green. And the further away you are, the more challenging it should be. And I just, I didn't get my ball far enough up onto those levels to have good looks at the, at the greens. Whereas a guy like Retief Goosen that I played with on Wednesday, who was 60 or 70 yards past me on every tee ball, he was up on the top level mm-hmm. in almost every fairway where he could see the green. So nerd golf talk, but that was what really, if there was anything that hurt me more than anything there, it was my lack of length. Low, low hanging fruit. I will avoid the uh, length challenge to jokes for you. <laughs> Your partner wouldn't, but hey. he's, we've upgraded this week and we got a, an icon in the seat. Yeah, I'm part. a real icon. Hey, Drew, one thing I haven't heard you talk about is did nerves play into at all uh, how you played and how you scored, or you think you, you were past that? It was really weird. You know, Stan, I, I was nervous on the first tee shot for sure. Right. Um, but I, I never was nervous after that. It, okay. it really was, it was kind of almost odd in that. I, and I think part of that was that I did get to play on Monday and Tuesday with Langer and there were three or 400 people around. Well, maybe not that many, maybe two or 200 people around us at any given time watching. Mm-hmm. I think that did help me acclimate to it a little. But once I was on the golf course, you it, as weird as it sounds, you really don't – you kind of block out the people and the TV cameras and all that, it, and, and they are almost like background. You, I, it never bothered me. And it was kind of interesting because my tee time on Thursday, which I played in the last group, my tee time was um, three groups in behind Bernard Langer, Ernie Els, and Jerry Kelly. And I would say that of the 8,000 people that were there, literally half of them were probably following that group. Mm-hmm. So it was really kind of cool. I could hear that. I could hear the crowd mm-hmm. reacting to them. So it definitely felt like I was at a, <laughs> a big tournament. But those people were all, you know, four hole, three holes ahead of me. And we had our stragglers watching us and our families and some people that were just milling around. They're like, oh, here's a group with nobody following them. Maybe I'll follow them for a while. So I didn't have the only time I was ever around really big crowds was when I was on the 14th green, 15T, 17 green, and 18T, because that's where the main entrance to the golf course was. And everyone kind of congregated around those four holes. Um, and so I was around thousands of people in in those at that section of the golf course. But you just kind of – it was really odd. I, it never – it never bothered me. I, I just I treated it felt like I was playing an Eagles Nest, honestly. Yep. I know that we were we were doing a little tally or trying to figure out exactly how much money we were gonna be raising for the helping <laughs> up mission. Was there did you manage to scrape it together a few birdies well, or I, I, I did make an asterisk birdie. We can count <laughs> that one. Um I hit my T ball on the second hole Friday out of bounds okay. by a foot. <laughs> And I made a birdie on the second ball to make what was then a really good bogey. So okay. you take a two-shot penalty, you go back to the tee, and you play the hole over again, and you add two shots. And I made a birdie on the second ball. So for the for our friends at Helping Up Mission, we should asterisk that and count it. So it was kind of um, like Kevin Durant with his uh, size 14 shoe, which is barely like missing. You were like, if you had oh, been a foot right. clear, you would have been, right, been a right. birdie kind of thing. Um, 
I didn't have, I probably only had in the 36 holes, I might have only had eight legitimate, what I would consider legitimate birdie putts. I mean, I, that's how difficult it was to get the ball close to the hole. Well, I saw like pictures of the of like the rough and you know how close it was to the fairway when it really got long. Like, is that normal for golf courses, or was this like a particularly long as far normal, as that is concerned? Normal for the national championships, whether or not it's the U.S. Open, the U.S. Senior Open, uh, the U.S. Amateur, the U.S. Mid Am, all of the USGA events. One of their staples is they do narrow the fairways, and they definitely let the rough grow. So, you know, we were getting. Um, text and emails every day from the golf course from two weeks until the day we left, giving us an update on what they were doing with the golf course. They were on site as of June the 20th. So they were there almost three weeks in advance. So we were getting emails about what the, what the green speeds were going to be, what the length of the rough was going to be. Uh, they said four and a half inches would be the max. I felt like it was closer maybe to five or mm -hmm. more, but it, but if you missed your tee shot or you missed your approach shot left or right of the green, you were really in trouble. If you missed it short, you were okay. You had a lot of room to play the ball into the green, but um, I would, it was definitely by far, it was the toughest golf course I've ever played. I mean, it wasn't even, I've played Beth page up in New York, which has had the U S open a couple of times and it's very difficult and similar in nature in that some of the Hills are uphill I mean, some of the holes go uphill, but 13 of the 18 approaches on this place were uphill and they weren't plus five uphill. They were like plus 13 or 14 yards uphill. So, so how, how different would it be if you went out there a month from now and played the same course and had more? I, I know you got familiar with it, but actually playing it, how much better do you think you could shoot? Um. You know, better, but I, I, I'm still going to be length challenged based on where the tee boxes were. I think a better sort of description would be if I'm ever fortunate enough to get back in this event, right? Because it, it rotates to other courses. Um, if I'm ever blessed to get back in, I don't think I'd ever play a place harder than this. Okay. I, I, I think I'd play if it, it, next year it's at Salkin Valley. Salkin Valley is a very challenging place up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, but it's not nearly as nearly, difficult as okay. this. Yeah. It does present some other unique challenges. Um, it has some water. It has some other things about it that this place necessarily didn't necessarily have. But um, I learned a lot about the way to practice for this and the way to get ready for this that I didn't know before I got there. Um, I definitely would practice differently if I ever get back. I wouldn't play with – and, again, I'm not saying this because to suggest that they were the reason – I just playing with those guys was a really good experience for me with Bernard Langer and yeah. Houston and Mike Weir and those guys. It was a really good experience, but it also, they practice much, much differently than I practice. Right. And they're the way they approach a practice round is just much different. And I would do thing, some things differently next time around. If I got in, how many times did you cry? Oh my gosh. It, the over and under was eight. And I think I was <laughs> plus, I was I hit the total by like Wednesday, um, but I, I mean that, the most emotional thing was definitely having my son there, yeah. um, and knowing that I really needed, uh, you know, I, when I thought about it on Thursday night, I went back after my round on Thursday, and I knew, you know, the likelihood of making the cut at that point was 
pretty much d- had diminished to nothing because I would have had to have shot, you know, 64 the next day. Right. Um, not even that. I, well, yeah, I guess 64 was done. Um, I, I just went back to the hotel and I just kind of sat in the lobby and there were all the players were there. So it was kind of a lot of hustle and bustle going on. And I just sat in the lobby by myself and I'm like, man, what am I going to do tomorrow to make this, to like put a cherry on this? Like, right. What could I do? And I, it was funny because I said, you know what I could do is make a hole in one. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Yeah, and then right. I realized, well, I've only made five of those my whole life. And right. I don't really have any control over that, even though I think I do. Um, and that's kind of when it hit me that I wanted to have Ethan Caddy the last hole for me. But um, I had a lot of hurdles. To legal. I, in the back of my, my mind, I knew it was legal as long as I didn't have I can't employ two caddies okay. at the same time. And I knew it was legal, but I did walk in the next morning to the rules people and ask them if it was legal. And they confirmed that it was as long as my caddy was outside of the ropes and gave the bib and all of the stuff to Ethan. And Ethan then went inside the ropes. It was going to be fine. Um, But the big challenge was to go to my playing partners to make sure they were okay with it because one of them was in position to make the cut. Hmm. And I didn't want in any way to jeopardize his chances. And, you know, the, there is a certain nuance and, and, and there are certain, just like baseball, there are some unwritten rules about baseball that we all know. And some of us, we like some of them and we don't like some of them. And there are nuances about caddying that are important at that level, which is frankly, one of the reasons why I wouldn't have had Ethan do it in the first place, because even though he plays golf and he's 13 and he can physically probably do it there are so many little nuanced things about it that it wouldn't have been good for him so um i I went to the first guy harry um rudolph who was in position to make the cut and did make it and i said hey harry it would really mean a lot to me if my son could caddy the last hole and i totally understand if you think that's not a good idea right i will keep him out of the way he will not interfere He, he plays golf he knows enough to know where to walk and what to do, but I totally understand and would not be offended in the least right. if you don't think it's a good idea. And he said, if you don't do it, I'm going to break all your clubs. <laughs> That's very <laughs> so, cool. So once I got past him and then I went over to my other guy who unfortunately played really poorly um, Thursday and Friday, actually, but he, he was a great guy from Louisiana, Clay Weems. And I asked him and right away he said, you know, I would love it. I think it would be a great thing. And so then I just had to go to my caddy, and that's when I, that's when I started to cry. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't say it to him. I, you know, I've known him for 25 years. I know how special it was for him to caddy for me. He did an unbelievable job. I mean, he he did a phenomenal job, and I didn't want him in any way to feel like I was upstaging him or yeah. dissatisfied with him. And I just couldn't say it. I I I just started crying as soon as I I started to ask him, and I literally. It took me a minute and a half to ask him. Hmm. And, you know, right away, he's like, dude, it's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Are you still going to pay me for all 36 holes? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Drew. And, um, so that's how it happened. Drew, awesome. uh, I wonder how you think the the entirety of that experience will affect Ethan's appreciation of golf. Well, I mean, honestly, Stan, it's kind of the reason I did it. I I you know, I've never really pushed him, um, to play. I, I, I want him to play, yeah. but I've never, I've never been, you know, Ted Knight from Caddyshack. You'll play golf today and you'll like it. I've never done that with him. Right. Um, 
And he has started to play more. And now that he's getting ready to go to Coward Hall, I think secretly he does want to play for me someday. I've, I've told him for two years, there's, there's no free spots. Mm-hmm. You're either going to make it or you're not. Right. And when you do make it, if you do, you're going to feel a certain sense of accomplishment because I am not giving you a free spot. If, if it's the football team, mm-hmm. I might throw you in there. We're losing 27 to three. And you right. could say you played on the football team, but in golf, I got 10 spots and I'm not giving one away no matter how much I love you. So I, I did secretly kind of hope that the experience, not just the caddying, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, I'm really hoping that that's the catalyst for him that someday when he's, you know, 30 and he wins the club championship somewhere and someone says, Hey, when did you really fall in love with golf? I, I, I did kind of put that together, hoping that he would say, well, my dad played in the U S senior open when I was 13 and it was really cool. And that's what, that's what, you know, magnetized me to it. So um, he, he had a great time. No question about it. He, he, um, he still talks about it and that's great. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, so my daughter was there. I think she had a great time. My wife loved it. Um, they all had a great time. I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better than, you know, I would like to have had a better score, but it's golf. And, and I knew before I went, I knew it would be challenging and I liked it. I, some of the guys didn't like the golf course. Some of the guys were adamant that they didn't like it and were pretty vocal about not liking it in the locker room. And there were some pretty big name guys who really badmouthed it. I, I loved it. I thought it was really hard and it was really fair. And if you play good golf, you got rewarded. And if you played just okay golf, you didn't get rewarded. I got a qu- I, I, I thought that's the way it should be. I got a little offbeat question for you. With Drew's morning dish, you also do trips, sports trips. Do you think you could put a trip together to take in other words, do you think it would be entertaining enough to take 50 guys or, you know, whatever the, the, the genders are, would there be that much interest in making it an enjoyable trip? If I made it next year to Salkin Valley, um, I would probably try to put something together because it's in Allentown. It's drivable. Right. This one, this was so difficult to get to and so okay. expensive to get to. I wouldn't have put anyone through that. But, okay. yeah, I think um, I would – I would obviously have somebody else organize it mm-hmm. in, in terms of like right. running running the actual go up there on Thursday and watching Friday. But yeah, I, I think people would go. Certainly Baltimore people, people at my club would go if it were drivable. That's for sure. Okay. If I had a friend, you know, I've got several friends at my club that are that are closing in on 50 or are 50 who are very capable. And if they made it, I would drive to go see them. So for sure. What number was higher? The number of times that you cried or the number of pulled pork sandwiches that Ethan ate? Oh, e- Ethan ate way more pulled pork sandwiches than Ethan. If I would have got a bill for Ethan and uh, Ethan's food charges in the hospitality lounge, I'd, I would be we'd be taking out a, a second mortgage. Ethan uh, definitely took advantage of the food in the hospitality lounge. That's for sure. Well, the way it should be. Right. Were they good? Right. Were they, like were they particularly good pulled pork sandwiches? I didn't have any, but Ethan certainly, apparently, <laughs> Ethan enjoyed, enjoyed them. And the Gatorade. You know, the Gatorades were, uh, when I made it to the U.S. Senior Amateur a few years ago, it was my first time taking him. And, um, you know, he got, they, they, the people in the hospitality thing knew Ethan more than they knew me. Ethan didn't even need the badge by the third day. They, they just knew who he was. Sounds like he did it right. Yep. No, he, um, they took great care of the families. I, you know, I, 
I never had to worry about my family being hungry, cold. I mean, hungry, hot, not, you know, out of place. They, the, they really, really did a nice job taking care of the families there. It was an awesome experience. Um, Omaha was kind of dead because they had just had the college world series Mm -hmm. there and the swimming Olympic swimming trials were right next door to my hotel when uh, um, three weeks before and everybody kind of disappeared from Omaha right after the college world series because everyone in the town is somehow connected to working those events. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of desolate that week. It was weird. Not awful. I know that uh, since we have, you might as well ask you about it. I mean, Colin Morikawa won a second major at uh, 24 years old. Like, is he, where does he rank as far as the the favorites for dominant, dominant golfers? Well, I mean, he's entered eight majors, seven as a professional, one as an amateur, and he's won two of them, which is really historic. Um, I, I, I mean, I would say from a ball striking, and some of this I'm going to glean from Brandel Chambly, who's the golf analyst at Golf Channel, who really, really knows the golf swing and really understands the dynamics of of club of contact with the club and ball striking. You know, and Chambly said the other night, hey, look, we haven't compared anybody to Tiger in 20 years because none of these guys have been worthy of comparison to him. McElroy had a nice little run. Mm-hmm. Kepka had a nice run. Spieth had a nice run. But none of those guys, golf ball striking-wise, were anything comparable to Tiger until this kid. Hmm. Um, and he's not a great putter like Tiger was, but he but he puts plenty well enough to obviously to have won five times in two years. Um, you can go back and look in the history of golf and see a lot of really high quality players who played on the tour for 15 or 20 years who only won five or six times. And this kid's won five times in two years and he's won two majors. And when you start to think about Greg Norman's career, he won two times. Granted, he could have won 10, but he only won two. Right. Langer only won twice. Olafable won twice. Goosen won twice. And this kid's already won two times. Yeah. And he has an incredible golf head. Um, he he is definitely the real deal. I mean, of, of the, when those three kids came out of college together, Morikawa, Wolf, and Hovland, everybody kind of thought Wolf would be the one. He won the first out of those three. Right. And he has the quirky kind of swing, and he's really, really long. And everyone kind of assumed he would be the the one of those three to kind of be a rock star right away. But this kid's this kid's usurped both Hovland and Wolf easily. Drew, is this is um, is Colin Murakawa gonna play in the BMW Classic? Oh yeah, he's already he's number one in the FedEx FedEx Cup standings right now. I think mathematically, I mean there's only three events left, I guess, until the FedEx Cup starts, and he's well maybe there's four, but he's gonna miss at least two of them because he's in the Olympics. Right. He, he'll he'll be a top three. He'll be one, two, or three in the point standings when the when the thing starts. And I think the top ten guys can't not play at caves. Okay. You know what I mean? I, the top 70 guys play at caves. Yep. He couldn't be eliminated by that. Okay. So, yeah, he'll be there for sure. Did you watch the finals last night? I did. Where, um, does, where does that – and Tentacumpo performance rank as far as like the best performances you've seen in the playoffs. Well, I would say that you you would have you'd be long you'd be hard pressed to come up with a 
you'd be hard pressed to come up with five or 10 better performances in the history of sports in Hmm. in a, I know it wasn't an elimination game, but they probably figured it was as close to one as they could be because they didn't want to go back to Phoenix. Right. I would say it's one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest um, performances in any sport, in any final based on what they were up against. I don't know how much the 50 years mattered to him because he's 25 or whatever he is. Like he doesn't know who Lou Alcindor was, but (laughs) um, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty spectacular. I mean, everybody's going to, you know, everybody kind of has an opinion on who the best players are in the league. And is it LeBron or is it Durant or is it Harden or, but this kid, I, I don't know if, if you reshuffled the deck right now and you were allowed the first pick in the NBA tomorrow and you had an expansion team in Dundalk, I don't know how you wouldn't take him. I mean, it was pretty dynamic. Yeah, it was very special. And And I I think Phoenix, I mean, hey, the game was in the balance the whole time. I mean, it it wasn't like, not that this would diminish it, but it wasn't like a 121 to 93 win where he just scored a bunch of dumpy points down the stretch and got 50, but... They won by 28. I mean, he single-handedly, and Booker, but he single-handedly beat them. Yep. The, the free-throw shooting after what he's gone through and what his career mark is, it was phenomenal because that's what won the game ultimately. Uh, right. And I, I think, you know, I, I think that, that the two of them getting, the two teams getting there, and I, I get it. It was the weird – it was a weird truncated season in the COVID, and the, I, I get it, but – I think the fact that those two teams got there was really cool for the league. Yeah. I, I, you know, not that we, not that I'm trying, I'm not a LeBron hater in the least, but like we've seen enough of LeBron and I don't mind what New Jersey did because, you know, everybody's trying to win. And a lot of team, a lot of franchises just assume if I get all the best players, I'm going to win. And that is kind of a good model. Um, But I was sort of glad that they didn't get there. And I think these two teams, could get there. I mean, I guess they could get there again right away. Both of them, yeah. right? I mean, it wasn't a fluke by any means. Well, I'll ask you a little more odds and ends here. The Orioles trade deadlines nearing. I mean, who do you expect will be dealt? Who do you think should be dealt? If it was you making the decisions, who would you deal? Well, I mean, there's so many moving parts to that. I, I you know, and Stan and I have talked about this a lot over the years. Like, there's such a disconnect, or there's been such a disconnect over the last 10 or 15 years because of the losing. They've had such a difficult time embracing the community and the community embracing them. And so when you talk about trading a guy like Mancini, unless you got blown away with an offer, why would you deal him? And, and, and yet the next part of the equation is, well, no one's going to the games now anyway. So who, who cares if they trade Mancini? But I I don't think I would trade him, and I know that might be nearsighted. I think he's a very productive player. I don't think anyone is going to back up the Brinks truck to mm-hmm. give you an abundance of talent, minor leaguers or whatever. Um, I, I think means would have been dealable, obviously, if he wouldn't have been hurt. I guess someone would still give you something for him now because of the service time issue. But – I don't think you would get nearly as much for him as if he would have been 11 and four right right now, instead of whatever he is, four and three. Um, I I wouldn't trade Mountcastle. I know he's been scuffling. 
I, I love his approach at the plate. I think he's going to be a really good hitter. Um, I think they're going to, I think they could get something for Paul Fry, but it wouldn't be anything spectacular. Right. I think they could potentially maybe kind of get something for Solser, but again, you're not really getting anything for these guys. Yeah. I think Galvis before he got hurt. Yeah. I think someone would have given you something for him, nothing great, but they just don't have pieces that are really marketable. The you know, two guys from, that people will talk about like as potentially having value, but maybe like you mentioned with Mancini, is it more to the Orioles than another team or Tanner Scott and Dylan Tate? Right. Now, Scott, I would have said, I, I, I actually think Scott, there is some value there as well for him. He, he did have a rough June, but I do think there's some value for him. I think the guy that would probably draw the most interest would be Santander, but he just gets hurt too much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he's, I think, he's back on the, the IL now. I know. As of today. I, but I think, I, I really do. I, I think that kid is, I, I'm trying to think of who I would compare him to. Um, I don't know. Maybe Paul O'Neill, although his batting average wasn't as high as Paul O'Neill's. And the, but, pro- the problem with him, Drew, is, is take a look at the on base percentage. He's, yeah. n- he's never been over 300. Right. Well, that's no yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't expect them to do much because I just don't think they have much yeah. to I do think, with. I think Fry goes. I don't think yeah, that's any I, question. I do think from a relief standpoint, they have a couple of arms that people would take, and you know how it goes, Stan. They're looking for a guy to come in and give them 25 innings between now and September, yep. but those are, but they're meaningful 25 innings, yep. right? You know, um, I think this is going to – I think this baseball, despite the fact that we're not in it, I think this – end of this thing is going to be pretty cool. I think the White Sox are a great story. Yep. I think the Giants are an awesome story. Um, you, if the Dodgers if the Dodgers can somehow stay in this without Bauer, who I think is done for the year. If they I, think he's done, I think he's done, period, done. Maybe, I yeah. think he's done, done. I, I think they will try everything they can to avoid that contract. And I can't wait to see the case that the MLBPA makes to, uh, you know, to defend him. Yeah, yeah I mean, cool. I think it would be remarkable if, and they are still hanging on without him. Yeah. It would be really remarkable if the Dodgers can cobble this together without him. Um, Kershaw is still he's on the IL now, I think. Yeah, right? Kershaw, but he's not the Kershaw of five years sure. ago. Um, you, how they continue to do it kind of amazes me. Drew, you uh, know what's you know what's fascinating about a guy like Fry, and, I, and we've all watched this is when a guy is solid like Paul Fry has been, but he's pitching for a horrible team, invariably when he goes to a contender, he recedes from anything like he was pitching for a meaningless team. You know? Right. I've seen that happen time and time again. You know? Stan, do you think they are – do you think Hyde is okay? I think think he's he's okay. We had Dan Connolly on earlier, and Dan thinks he'll be back next year. But that sort of next year, all bets are off after that. You know that uh, there there needs to be something that they can hang their hat on. They can't just defend them uh, because at that time Elias will be trying to you know make a case for well, it wasn't me; it was uh, the manager. You know. Yeah, I think they're in a position now. I mean, most of us knew, and you know, look, they're going to wind up with fifty five wins or whatever, which is terrible, but they also lost 14 games in a row. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If, if you take it in that context, 
oh, you won 55, but you lost 14 in a row. It doesn't sound that terrible. But at some point, and I do think it's next year, I get it. A lot of people are like, you either win 90 or you win 70. Who cares in between? But at some point, they do have to start winning some games. You know, the the team that's interesting is, you know, the Tigers right now are about six or seven games under 500. And that's a team at the beginning of the year I would have thought was the equal of the Orioles, you know, that we were going to battle for the seller. And I think A.J. Hinch's success there probably has raised the bar of what Hyde needs to do. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm I'm really – I always – you know, I love the baseball playoffs. I love – I love them too. And I'm really excited to see how this all – unfolds and you know the Red Sox are a phenomenal story there's a lot of really good stories who's your World Series pick right now well at the beginning of the year I picked the White Sox and the Padres I'm sticking with it interesting that's who I picked at the beginning of the season I, I I I think I had the White Sox winning yeah I had the White Sox winning so I was on the White Sox from the beginning not just because of Gavin Sheets but I I was on the White Sox from the beginning I'll give you one fluke team is I think Houston has a chance I of course think the White Sox will be right there if Toronto is able to cobble together the right they trade for like pitching. a Craig Kimbrell, some pitching, and yeah, a bullpen, they, right? They, they, that bullpen is just nothing, you know. Yeah, their offense is it's, really good, yeah. but yeah, their bullpen is terrible. Yeah, I'll ask what I asked Jeremy Kahn yesterday. Training camp around the corner, uh, over under for the Ravens season win total eleven and a half. What are you taking? Uh, oh, it's seventeen games, right? Eleven and a half. Um. I would say over. I, I I think they're going to be very good. I don't know. I mean, look, they could get three injuries at a bad time and could lose three out of four, and all of a sudden now they win ten games. But I think all things being equal, if they just get through the season with, you know, the normal amount of injuries, I don't see how they're going to lose more than five games. I I know Cleveland. Everybody's on Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland. I I'll, I'll wait to see. Cleveland hasn't done anything in 20 years. I, I'm anxious to see them do something. And I don't believe, I don't think Pittsburgh is all that good and Cincinnati's terrible. I think the Ravens are at least a 12-win team. Well, we appreciate you taking the time for us as always, sir. It was cool to get the chance to see you uh, take the take the course over there in Omaha and uh, see fun. Ethan take the bag. Congratulations on having that moment. Uh, look it forward to catching up with you next week, and we'll talk to you soon, all right? Great appreciate stuff, you. Drew. Great Thanks, stuff. Man. Okay, see buddy. You guys soon. Bye. There he goes, Drew Forrester, DrewsMorningDish.com. You can find him on Twitter at It's a Hooded 4Iron, and it was uh, cool to catch up there and get his thoughts on what had to have been a pretty uh, incredible experience for him you know, at the U.S. Senior Open. You know, if you bring your laptop or tablet to Glory Days Grill today. Yeah. You know, or tomorrow, you know, Any for day. lunch or evening. You can read Drew's Morning Dish. You can. There at Glory Days Grill. You truly can. Yeah. I can't recommend enough the Smoky Fire Wings. Those things are a revelation. The regular wings are also unbelievable. But really, uh, everything on the menu there, delicious. We're going to take our third and final break here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio here at Press Box. Today's show, as we mentioned, is brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. Glenn Clark Radio. 
Kyle Ottenheimer, Stan the Fan Charles. We'll be right back on the other side. Longtime sport executive Andy Dolich joins us. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Sports and Social Maryland is bringing the ultimate fan experience to you at Live Casino and Hotel. We take sports viewing to the next level with a massive 100-foot media wall, 47-foot big screen, 40 HD TVs, extensive beer selection, big eats, in-venue gaming, bowling, and more. The perfect destination for sports enthusiasts and fun seekers. We're raising the sports bar at Sports and Social Maryland. Come see for yourself. Book your table now at SportsSocialMD.com. That's SportsSocialMD.com. Here it Watch out! For the first time, the PGA Tours FedEx Cup Playoffs is coming to Maryland. The top 70 players in the world converge on Kays Valley Golf Club for the 2021 BMW Championship, August 24th through 29th, 2021. Baltimore's iconic and challenging course provides the perfect test as the playoffs heat up. Tickets are now available. Don't miss your chance to watch the drama unfold. Visit BMWChampionship.com today. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Ruling from Great Eights Memorabilia, and we want to invite you out to Jimmy's Famous Seafood on Sunday, July 25th. We will be there for the Casey Cares Return to Training Camp Crab Feast with Baltimore Raven linebacker Tyus Bowser. Tickets are on sale now at GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. That's Great, the number eight, letter S, Memorabilia.com. And remember, you always have a chance to be great. Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. The journey begins on remote mountain farms and plantations in the lush tropical regions of countries like Colombia and Brazil, where the best coffee beans are grown. The beans are harvested by hand, carefully sorted, bagged, shipped, and finally roasted. And the journey ends as your cup of rich, flavorful Royal Farms coffee, the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Hi, it's Glenn Clark for Window Nation. When it comes to cost and quality, Window Nation has you covered, saving you thousands more on your windows compared to national brands while providing the same, if not better, quality. Want detail? Window Nation measures each window three times to ensure proper fit. And after they install your new windows, they leave your home cleaner than it was before. Get 50% off every style window plus put no money down make no payments and pay no interest for 24 months 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com tell them glenn clark sent you window nation the perfect fit the latest edition of press box is available now on the cover thomas kenzora profiles university of maryland quarterback talia tongavailoa and his chance to deliver the terps to big 10 prominence this year also inside bo smolka breaks down the ravens offensive line a look at coppin state's olympic connection and much more press box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 royal farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at PressBoxOnline.com. You are out. You are listening to Glenn Clark Radio Radio at GlennClarkRadio.com. Whether you focus 
or whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer. And my wife drives a new, brand new Highlander that she got at a local Toyota dealer here in town. Are we making our connection, or is he on? Calling him right now. Oh, okay. Andy Dolich, longtime sports executive. Uh, and there are very few people that have been really meaningful sports executives in all four of the major sports. Andy Dolich has been in all four major sports as a major sports executive. Oakland A's, Washington Capitals, Memphis Grizzlies and San Francisco 49ers are the places. Um, He will be joining us in just a second. Again, the lawmakers in the city of Oakland yesterday voted to approve funding for a stadium deal in Oakland or a a pathway uh, toward a deal, but they they did it on a deal that the Oakland A's have never agreed to. So we're going to find out a little bit more about that right now and joining us now is a longtime friend of mine and as i said uh executive in all four of the major sports andy dolich andy how are you well i'm as confused as anybody else is in the world of oakland a's baseball after multiple years and then yesterday supposedly being the day that there'd be some sort of definition of what was happening, but um, I think we're in the seventh inning stretch headed for extras. So when you say seventh inning stretch, it it sounded like from the commissioner and and team president, Dave Cavill, because you never hear from the owner, uh, Mr. Fisher, um, that that yesterday was kind of the end of the ninth inning, you know, because they, they have not agreed to the proposal that the city council uh, lawmakers uh, voted on and approved uh, yesterday, and that now they're turning their attention to Southern Nevada, which equals Las Vegas. No, I don't see it that way, Stan, although okay. people who disagree with Stan, that's that's dangerous, right? You shouldn't do that. No, no, um, not at all. How, however, having some knowledge of what's going on here, This is a negotiation still. And so how do you put maximum pressure on Las Vegas to come up with the best deal? And let's not get too far ahead. The A's have no deal um, anyplace other than when they're finished with this road trip, they're coming back and playing at the Coliseum. That's reality. Uh, The A's have said there are 20 spectacular locations in southern Nevada, and I think they're in Nevada again today, Fisher and and Cavill. Um, But they don't have a deal. So how do you put pressure on a place that you want to give you tons of money? And you do that by saying, we're definitely coming here. And so that... um, position yesterday, which Cavill took, again, still to be defined, well, it's not our deal, it's your deal. It's like you throwing a pitch to us, but we're not in the batter's box, so good luck with that. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I think it is part of the negotiating process, and 
the laughability of this is the consistent um, talk of 100% privately financed um, stadium development, additional parts of the A's plan at Howard Terminal, all being 100% privately financed by John Fisher, except for the fact of hundreds of millions of dollars being asked for by the A's from the city. Yeah. That's for the infrastructure, the roads and, you know, highways and ways to get to the ballpark. That, that would as be... of today, as of today it is. As of tomorrow, who knows? So let me ask you a question. The City Council of Oakland yesterday approved a plan. What plan did they approve? Is this to, to build at the existing site or to build no. at Howard Terminal with the A's picking up all the money? It is to proceed at Howard Terminal. The Coliseum site is off the table based upon the A's. And without complicating things, there is the purchase of 150 acres of land at the Coliseum, which the A's own 50% of now, the counties. But um, this is absolutely for Howard Terminal the city made some concessions as it relates to affordable housing um, in and around the ballpark, which you won't see being built for years. Mm -hmm. And it's still years in the future in terms of whether you're even um, breaking ground to build the ballpark. There are so many unanswered questions here, but as we spoke about before, when you say 100% privately financed, that usually means 100% privately financed. And you're asking the city for hundreds of millions of dollars, some of which they agreed to pay yesterday. Um, What is the bill really going to look like? Too early to tell. And as I said, you can say we're moving to Vegas because Major League Baseball said we could look at other cities through the commissioner. But you don't have a deal anywhere in Nevada or any place else in the United States to play baseball other than at the Oakland Coliseum. If you look at this as a, a game of chess, is the is the land at the Coliseum, does that end up being what ends up pushing this deal in, in the A's column, that they get all that land? I've said in articles that I've written years ago that it was a hidden ball trick early on when the A's said the Coliseum isn't workable, even though it's been workable for three major professional sports for six decades. But the A's have said, no, it's not. We want Howard Terminal. Oh, and incidentally, how about if we bought 155 acres, which is the Coliseum footprint, for a combined $170 million? And my analogy would be that would be the greatest land grab since Peter Minuet bought Manhattan Island for 24 bucks worth of trinkets (laughs) in, I think, 1636. You and I were not around in 1636, but that was a deal that he made. This would be the same because that land for development, where it stands in the middle of a transportation hub, spectacular. And oh, and incidentally, um, 77 million A's fans have walked through the turnstile since the A's started playing um, at the Oakland Coliseum. You were uh, a big part of the increase in attendance for the A's. Obviously, when you started, they were drawing very few fans, and then. 
by the time 93 rolled around, you guys were filling that stadium and, and seemingly on a nightly, nightly basis. Obviously, that did coincide with the influx in talent, right? The Bash Brothers being there and the product getting increasingly more exciting. I think that there's parallels kind of to be drawn between what the A's went through and what the Orioles are going through as Camden Yards sort of rests dormant currently. Um, it, in today's game and understanding where baseball stands in the public, is there really any other way right now to fill a stadium in a small market like this other than with talent? Good morning or good afternoon or whatever time we're talking about. Yes. Uh, So I do think you have an excellent point. Um, Quality of play in today's world is important in every sport. However, community involvement, how deep you are, what you're actually doing for the lifestyle. And if you would have heard the comments yesterday, that the public had at the city council meeting, they were emotionally, you know, ripped apart by the fact that they may be losing their baseball team. Because this is not just players on the field. This is much more than that, as as you guys know. Um, we were able to draw because we cared. And at the last few years, even though Finley had created a spectacular team in the early and mid-70s, he forgot um, all that he learned in the late, uh, 70s and nobody came. We just went back to to being a part of the community and we had great players. If you look at the A's today, it is one of the better young teams in baseball, but every fan goes, well, is Olsen leaving? Is Chapman leaving? Oh, you let go of this player. And incidentally, <laughs> let's talk diversity. Um, Marcus Simeon, I think most baseball observers would say he's become one heck of a player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, born in Berkeley, went to Cal, and the A's let him go. The A's spent more on their new offices than they spent than they could have spent on keeping Marcus Simeon as part of an incredible infield with Chapman and Olson. That yeah. makes no sense in one of the most diverse cities in the country, and hence. These are 29th in attendance of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball today. Do you think, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about a potential looming labor stoppage in Major League Baseball. Given where the sport currently stands with, I think, dwindling interest among younger generations, can can they afford something like that? And do you think that the owners recognize this sort of crossroads and will do everything in their power to prevent that? Uh, there's a lot of dreams that people have when they go to Vegas, and most of those dreams end up with empty pockets. Um, and so for the A's and Major League Baseball to look at Vegas as a solution, how do you logically, guys, how do you logically say, we're going to leave the sixth largest market, and you talked about a small market, it, it's in the San Francisco market. So it's the sixth largest in the country. You're going to the 40th size market in the country. You're moving from one of the most diverse cities, and baseball's always talking about working to be more diverse, to a non-diverse city. Um, And incidentally, baseball's talked about expansion, and they want to get over $2 billion for two expansion markets unnamed. Don't you think Vegas would be one of those cities that baseball would be looking at? So So you're going to let somebody go to a city for whatever the relocation fee is, and that hasn't been publicly discussed. 
um, makes no sense. Illogical and Rob Manfred, I think most people could agree, is not a marketing maven. Um, and if there is a labor stoppage, um, that would be terrible for baseball. And back to the diversity point, how many African-American players appeared in last year's World Series? Have uh, I have guys, no, I don't think I have the answer no might be closer to that zero. That would than be one have. gentleman named Mr. Betts, Mookie yeah. Betts, Mookie I think. Betts. Wow. What does that say about diversity in the game? We're talking with Andy Dolich, a longtime sports executive. Andy, that that uh, just been wrapping this up, that um, billion dollar per team price tag. In other words, there are 29 other, if the A's move there to Vegas, there's got to be a huge relocation fee because that would be taking one of the most attractive markets off of the expansion uh, table, correct? The three of us haven't won any Nobel Peace Prizes in economics lately, have we? No. I don't think so. But why would you bypass, again, baseball has set the number, um, at least in what they've leaked out, at $2 billion plus for a relocation market. That means $4 billion if they were ex- to expand. Uh, because there is no uh, public um, determination as to what a relocation fee would be for Oakland. It's going to be far less than $2 billion, I would think. The team share in that. So if you're one of the 29 owners, do you want a 29th share of $2 billion or a 29th share of a few hundred million? End of story. Yeah, yeah. How do you see this uh, ending uh, with the A's? Do you see... Five years from now, the Oakland A's thriving in a new ballpark at Howard Terminal, or do you see them in Las Vegas or somewhere I else? Po- I, I, <laughs> I think it's a possibility at Howard Terminal. Um, I will never give up my Oakland Coliseum opportunity, but I don't own anything. So I think Howard Terminal, if they're going to play in a convertible dome stadium in one of these 20 spectacular locations in Las Vegas, and they have a poor record, you know, baseball isn't football with, you know, eight or nine home games. It's 81 plus. um, Good luck on paying back whatever money you borrowed or whatever public money has been put into a new stadium. So I'm going to stick with Oakland until I see um, heavy equipment digging up sand in southern Nevada. All right, I've got one quick question off the beaten track, and then Kyle's got one more for you also off the beaten track. The situation with the Los Angeles Dodgers right now and their, uh, their woebegone pitcher Trevor Bauer. Do you see him ever playing professional baseball again? No, I think he's done. Uh, and again, uh, you're sending messages. Unfortunately, you know, in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. But the way media works today, you're guilty until proven even more guilty. Yeah. So I, you know, you ask, I'm answering. I think he's done. I, I think he's done too. And I think the most interesting thing is when they when the Dodgers try to negate his contract, is watching MLBPA try and defend him to keep his money i don't see it happening no but that that is their job um and and i understand that um but in today's world can you find somebody else that can throw off a mound 
um, that has fewer problems. That's yeah. that's the way to go. We live in an unbelievable cosmetic society. If he has done the things that have been alleged, then he's got to go, and there's no room for him in the game. Kyle's got one more for you. I'd like to sort of pick your brain on what I think is a pretty interesting sports business discussion. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Royal Farms Arena. It used to be First Mariner Arena here in Baltimore. It's been in place in the same it is spot. the Civic Center. Yeah, yeah, it's been in place in the same spot for, for 40 I mean, some years. are we talking Gus Johnson and Earl DePearl? <laughs> That's right. We're talking that building. Okay, are we yeah. talking Jack Marin? Yeah. They have announced uh, intentions to renovate, uh, to potentially potentially expand capacity a little bit while still keeping the foundation in place. And they have also acknowledged that there really aren't any sites set on attracting any sort of NBA or NHL teams. Now, for people who are aware, this is still a, a, a arena that has attracted some high billing musical acts and has still drawn and, and done reasonably well, particularly well, given the, the outdated nature of the building itself. What right. do you think would really be the incentive for spending such money if you were unable to draw a professional franchise? And do you think something like that, spending that much money, granted it's not public funds, so that makes it a little mm-hmm. different, do you think it makes sense? And what are really the best-case scenarios, understanding that the NBA and NHL are probably out of the picture? Guys, we just talked about it. Stadiums, arenas, venues are magnets for cities as they grow. And you just look at Camden Yards, which became the absolute example of quality to hundreds of cities around the country and how it revitalized the whole area of the city. Um, so I think it's a positive because what is sports today? Sports is entertainment. And what is entertainment? Entertainment is sports. And if you just look at all the other sports that are out there that could play in an arena that aren't, let's say, in the big four, I think there's incredible opportunities. So as long as the people that are involved in the project really are looking at this in an intelligent strategy, um, you know, whether it's the WNBA, whether it's arena this or arena that, um, there's so much going on today. They're building arenas for esports which I still need to understand, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) So I I do think it is a positive strategic opportunity and that with the right um, quality business organization marketing and bringing acts in, it could be um, a real jewel for the city. He is Andy Dolich, one of the smartest sports executives I've ever come across, and we appreciate your time as always, Andy. That's always good to talk to you guys. And remember, uh, smartest sports executives is an oxymoron, Stan. All right. All right. Thanks, Andy. Take care. All right. That is Andy Dolich. Hey, the PGA Tour's top 70 golfers. And, again, Kyle, we just found out that Colin Morikawa Morikawa is going to be definitely one of those golfers are coming to Baltimore to compete in the 2021 BMW Championship at Caves Valley Golf Course. I even have a hat from them. That's right. Secure your tickets at bmwchampionship.com. We are winding down here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio here at Pressbox on a Wednesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. A reminder to get out to your local Glory Days Grill to try their new summer seasonal items or just about anything else on the menu. You truly cannot go wrong when it talks about Glory Days Grill. That brings us 
to Tidbit of the Day. And Tidbit of the Day is brought to you by Window Nation. And right now, Window Nation is offering an insane deal for you if you are in the market for new windows. Or as Stan mentioned, even if you aren't, you might want to take advantage of this. Is right now, get 50% off all styles of windows. Plus, put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest for 24 months, two whole years. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Tell them Glenn Clark sent you Window Nation, the perfect fit. So uh, believe it or not, I would say that the most important and impressive performance in sports in the past 24 hours probably came on the basketball court at the hands of Giannis Attentacumpo. When Giannis Attentacumpo put together a 50-point performance, well... He also became the first man since 1967 with 50 points and 10 rebounds in a final game. He became the first player since Shaquille O'Neal in 2001 to have 40 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 blocks in any playoff game. And he is only the second player in NBA history with 12 or more performances of 30 points and 10 rebounds in a single post season. Truly incredible what he accomplished throughout the course of this postseason and particularly last night in closing out the Phoenix Suns. It was Giannis and Chris Middleton that did the bulk of the work offensively for Milwaukee throughout the course of the postseason and they combined for a whopping 1,176 points during this playoffs. That is actually the fourth most points by a duo in league history, surpassed only by some guys named Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen in 92, who had 11 more points than did Giannis and Chris Middleton. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam had 11 more as well, as they had the same exact amount as Jordan and Pippen. And the most ever were by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2012, when the Miami Heat earned their title. So... Giannis joined the likes of two others in NBA history as the only three players to have won a Most Valuable Player Award, a Defensive Player of the Year Award, and the Finals MVP in one season. Or actually, excuse me, ever in their careers. Can you name the other two players in the NBA stand who earned all three of those And accolades. what were the three? The defensive MVP, pl- MVP, Defensive Player of the Year? And Finals MVP. Bill Russell? Not Bill Russell. Not Bill Russell. Not Bill Russell. I am shocked at that. Uh, I will say they are more recent than Bill Russell. Okay. Boy, Which I... Which doesn't give you a narrow amount down I, too much, but... Yeah. How uh, about... Dirk Nowitzki. It is not Dirk. He never did the defensive player. Yeah, of the that's year. right. He was. That's not he... a. That's not a good guess. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki. I. I'm not. They were that... both in the '90s. I'll tell you that. Both in the '90s. Uh, I am still. I'm still. One lost. of them is a. How about Olajuwon? Akeem Olajuwon is indeed one of the three. The one you are missing uh, probably would have been a lot of people's first guess. First guess. I'm. Uh, He's pretty good at basketball. He's pretty good at basketball. Still a relevant figure in the game. <laughs> Patrick Ewing. Not Patrick Ewing. Okay. Michael Jordan. 
Say it again. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Jordan. Reasonable yeah. guess that Michael Jordan. I hear that he was all right at the sport he of basketball. He won Defensive Player of the Year. Multiple times, I believe. Okay. He was a good defender. Right. He was yeah, a great defender. Was a great and it's interesting. Though, defensive Player of the Year has transitioned, and guards don't win it very much anymore. It's now particularly uh, reserved for big men. Yeah. But no, Michael Jordan was a hell of a defender yeah. in his time. So indeed... Giannis joins Hakeem and Michael Jordan as the only three players in NBA history to earn all three of those distinctions. Uh, Tip of the day was also brought to you by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Uh, Totally Tubular is brought to you by the Pressbox print edition. The latest edition of Pressbox is available now on the cover. Thomas Kenzora profiles University of Maryland quarterback Talia Tonga-Vailoa and his chance to deliver the Terps to Big Ten prominence this year. Also inside, Bo Smolka breaks down the Ravens' offensive line. We meet the area's Olympic athletes and more as Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Totally tubular tonight, or exactly in the next three minutes, the Orioles take the field against the Tampa Bay Rays to uh, try to see if they maybe can squeak out a win in this series against Tampa. Uh, Taking the mound, I don't really know, as Keegan Aiken was supposed to. I'm not sure whether Alex Wells will get the call after being called up or whether it'll be Eshelman or whether they're just going to bullpen it. But that game is on Masson at noon, or 12-10 officially it starts. Uh, Marlins Nationals tonight at 7 on Masson. MLB Network at noon has Padres Braves. At 3.30, they will have Pirates Diamondbacks, two of the best teams in baseball, squaring off. I'm joking. Uh, The Giants-Dodgers will be joined in progress later on. Uh, ESPN tonight, Cubs-Cardinals, a rivalry there at 8.15. The USA uh, has Olympics, U.S. women's national team. I know they did lose. That was this morning, so excuse me, that already happened. They lost to Sweden in the first game there. Uh, NBC Sports Network, the Olympics, uh, USA and Canada softball at 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, Fox Sports 1, Atlanta United, FC Cincinnati, some MLS action, followed by the LA Football Club and Portland Timbers at 10.30. More MLS on NBC Sports Washington as DC United and the Chicago Fire take the field at 8. Tonight, the Seattle Kraken NHL Expansion Draft on ESPN 2 will be at 8 p.m., uh, TNT has AEW Dynamite Fighter Fest Night 2 at 8. I don't know what it means, but it's on. Uh, non-sports, you have Dave at 10 o'clock on FXX. CW has Kung Fu and In the Dark, if you have any interest in that, at 8 and 9, respectively. Fox, MasterChef at 8, Crime Scene Kitchens at 9. Fallon has Amelia Clark, Mark Ronson, and Brandy Carlisle. Uh, Seth Meyers follows with Lord and some other people that I don't know who they are. Colbert, Emily Blunt, Bob Costas. Costas presumably will be promoting the NBC coverage of the Olympics. That's at 11.35 on CBS. And then Anthony Anderson guests hosts for Jimmy Kimmel Live with a number of the people from Suicide Squad as Marco Robbie, John Cena, James Gunn, the director, will all join him. Check it all out at glennclarkradio.com. Reminder... This Sunday, we will see you July 25th at Jimmy's Famous Seafood for the return to training camp crab feast featuring Tyus Bowser and benefiting Casey Cares. You can get your tickets now by going to great8smemorabilia.com. That's the number eight, great8smemorabilia.com. 
Com. Uh, thank you to all of our guests today. Uh, Dan Connolly from The Athletic, Drew Forrester recapping his experience at the U.S. Senior Open, and longtime sports executive Andy Dolich giving us some information on the Oakland A's as well as some other odds and ends around sports business. A reminder to get out to your local Glory Days Grill to watch all your sports action and to try some delicious meals. Uh, thank you to Stan the Fan. For sitting in, as always, a thank you to intern Jack for uh, giving us some information about the Utes. Uh, thanks to myself. I'm the best. Just kidding. Uh, tomorrow's show, we will chat with Melanie Newman about the historic broadcast on YouTube and get her thoughts on just what it meant to be a part of something you know so monumental and hopefully so inspiring for so many young baseball fans out there. Looking forward to that as well as other various irons in fires and stuff and things. A thank you to all of our Kyle, sponsors. You do a, can I say something? And I mean this. I've known you a long, you know, seven, eight years now. You do a very good job at what you're doing here. Well, I appreciate that, Stan. I genuinely do. And I, I thank you for all of your help through the years as well. Thank you as well to our sponsors and partners, U.S. Army, Glory Days Grill, Window Nation, Royal Farms, the Chesapeake Employers Insurance, as we are in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance studio here at PressBox. Chesapeake Employers Insurance is your workers' compensation insurance specialist. Uh, Exxon Mobil, KNS Automotive, C3 American Exteriors, Grade 8's Memorabilia, Sports and Social, MD, the BMW Championship, Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation, and your local Toyota dealers and buyatoyota.com. For myself, Kyle Ottenheimer, you can find me on Twitter at KOttenheimer. You can find Stan the Fan at Stan the Fan. We will see you tomorrow. Duke sucks. Go Birds. Ohio State sucks too.